Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we are speaking with Dr. Leanne Davey. Her fascination with organizations started as a child when she would watch hours of documentaries on the inner workings of factories. Eventually, that led her to a study of the modern machinery of business, the cross-functional team. For the past 25 years, Leanne has researched and advised teams on how to achieve high performance. Known as the teamwork doctor, she's worked with teams from the front lines to the boardrooms, across a variety of industries and around the globe from Boston to Bangkok. In working with hundreds of teams, she has developed a unique perspective on the challenges that teams face and how to solve them. Beyond her work in the boardroom, Leanne is a keynote speaker and a New York Times bestselling author of You First, Inspire Your Team to Grow Up, Get Along, and Get Stuff Done. She is also a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review and has been sought by media outlets for her expertise on increasing productivity, enhancing engagement, developing leaders, and as one client put it, dealing with the damn drama. Leanne's new book, The Good Fight, is available for pre-order now. You are listening to part two of our interview with Dr. Leanne Davey. Now, you've spoken of leaders in your life, especially early on, who did damage. Yes. So can you tell us about a leader who inspired you? Can I just make one point before that? I think with a little more maturity now, the leader I'm talking about, she didn't do damage to me. She wasn't abusive. You know, she was none of those things that I would say she did damage to me. I would say I let damage be done to myself. Mm. You know, she was, I think, feeling threatened by me. Mm-hmm. I was very young. She was 30 years older than me. And here was this upstart who comes into the consulting firm and all of a sudden people want me on their teams. People from other parts of the practice were saying, hey, you want to be on our team? And suddenly I was the cool new flavor of the month. Mm. And that's hard, right? And for me, I was just, I don't know, clearly I bring something awesome. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was immature. I wasn't empathetic. And so she was, I think, feeling threatened by me. And I didn't ever go and say to her, hey, I think we're off on the wrong foot. I think we have the wrong impression of one another. I think we need to talk this through. How can I support you better? So, you know, the situation was damaging. I'm willing to say that for sure. It took a long time to recover from it. And yet I feel a tremendous sense of accountability that, you know, I was a big part of allowing that to happen. So I just want to say that because there are leaders who do damage who are abusive, who are destroy people's self-esteem, who are physically abusive, who are sexually harassing. There are leaders that do damage. It's important for me to say, I don't think this leader intended to do damage to me. And I think I need to own a lot of the damage that was done. So it's important to me. Okay. A leader 
you know what? I've had so many leaders who believed in me and I had a boss in the next firm that I went to and he just always believed in me, gave me room to try new things. And about every two years, we would have this conversation about, okay, what's the next hard thing you're going to try? He understood that I didn't like to be complacent for very long. And, you know, he didn't push me. He let me push myself. Mm. And when I said, this is the next hard thing I want to try, he said, okay, how can I support you? How can I do it? And he really supported me as a mentor. So I remember when I launched my second book and I had young kids and there was a lot going on in my life. And he said, look, you're going to need support on this. You're going to need support to get really organized. So he got me a coach, an organization coach that also included somebody that came and organized my house and just helped me create an environment that was sane. <laughs> she was Mary Kondo before Mary Kondo. And that's mm -hmm. a boss who's thinking holistically about you as a person. And, you know, I'm forever indebted to him for that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life? Well, I think the biggest one that shaped my life was that first boss, right? And the second team where my conflict aversion was getting me into so much trouble. And what's fun when you're an organizational psychologist is you can write a book because you need it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, you know, I think all this work I've done for all these years about productive conflict was really, I was my first audience. So mm. I needed to research this. I needed to try it. I needed to test out what works and what doesn't work. So I have this Harvard Business Review article called Conflict Strategies for Nice People because I needed to figure out you know, what were the ways, the techniques, the words I could use that still allowed me to feel like a nice, harmonious person when I looked in the mirror at night. So, you know, it was that first boss. It was then thinking I could find somewhere that didn't have conflict and realizing that, nope, that was delusional. And then starting this sort of 15 years thinking as a researcher, as a psychologist, as a consultant, as a leader, as a team member, trying to figure it out, crack the code. There's, that's a section in the book called The Conflict Code. How do I crack the code? And so I was the first reader of this book. <laughs> Your own therapist. Oh, I sure am. It's a physician heal thyself situation here. So, you know. I, you know, I, Leanne, I love that because I've thought of many reasons to write a book, but yeah. I've never thought of that one. Yeah, because I need it. it I, so I needed this book and it didn't exist. So it was like, well, goodness gracious, if, if I need it that badly, other people must need it and it doesn't exist. Well, I guess I better write it. You know, it's a two-year commitment. It behooves you. It's your responsibility. I love the word behooves. Yes, I was totally behooved to write it. And so I'm thrilled. But the other thing, let me tell you, when you are a conflict avoidant person and you write a book about conflict and put it out into the world, it's an excellent accountability mechanism. <laughs> I, I bet it just draws a lot of conflict, which you where you can practice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it was funny. Perfect. My husband and I were about to have a really, really uncomfortable conversation. One that's sort of one of those conversations that exists in a marriage for years and years. And I just stopped and I said, okay, how do we have this the way we would tell our clients to have this conversation? Mm. And it was just awesome because I was going in there just really guns a blazing. And thankfully I didn't. I just stopped and said, okay, how, how do we do this right? Because whew, it's a lot of accountability mm. <laughs> saying that you're Dr. Conflict. Like, okay, let's see it, <laughs> bring it. <laughs> so yes. yeah, it was a great strategy. Yeah. You and your husband have an organization. What is it called? 
three cows. And people always ask about, you know, what does that mean? That's a crazy name. And it all comes from our mission statement. So our mission statement is to radically transform the way people communicate, connect, and contribute so they can achieve amazing things together. So the three co's, it was very funny. We were trying to come up with a company name. We were sitting around my in-law's kitchen table and Craig was playing guitar and throwing out good ideas. And I had this huge piece of paper, was jotting notes. And my mom was on the iPad, you know, searching for URLs and seeing if the websites were taken and everything. I said, well, you know, connect. I'm trying to talk about connect. What about Connexus? And they're like, oh no, that exists. And so I would throw out another idea. Craig would say, that sounds like a pharmaceutical. That's not a good name. And so finally I got frustrated and I pounded the table and I said, ah, I just want something that, you know, builds off of these three co's, you know, communicate, connect and contribute. And he just, you know, sort of raised an eyebrow, looked at me and said, how about three co's? Dude, that's why they pay you the big bucks. And within about 30 seconds, my mom had searched it. She's like, it's available, sold, hit buy. And literally around my in-law's kitchen table, that's where Three Co's came from. So. And so when our listeners want to connect with you and learn more about what you do, where should they go? The easiest place to go for most of the stuff is leannedavy.com because on leannedavy.com, the blog is there. I call it a blog, but it's not what people think of as a blog. This is a 400 article free toolkit for managers, searchable. So if you want to say gossip, people on my team are gossiping, type in gossip and you will get multiple articles. If you're not a team leader, you're a team member. There's an article about what if somebody keeps gossiping to me? How do I shut it down? There's even videos about, you know, how do I stop passive aggressive behavior? So if they go to leannedavy.com and go to the blog, there's a little search window there. You can look up decision-making. You can look up trust, conflict, gossip. What if somebody doesn't like me? What if I'm joining a new team? What if somebody's joining our team? It has literally 400 free tools. How do I know I'm too in the weeds? It has so many things. So they can find all of that stuff. It's all there because if you're going to change the world, you have to be willing to give it away for free. That's the abundance mentality. The other thing is my emails right there because if I'm going to change the world, people have to be able to reach me comes right into my email inbox and you can say, Hey, I searched and I didn't find this. And I would really love some help on this. I love when people do that. And I will often respond on the blog with them. Okay, here's how you do it. Here's some tips and techniques and try this. And here's the right words to say it in. So all of that is all centered at leannedavy.com, threecoes.com, which is just the number three, C-O-Z-E.com. That's more about the consulting business and that's really for executive teams. And, and if they want to look there, they're very welcome to, but leannedavy.com. Thank you. It's so generous. I'm on the site now and leannedavy.com. Wonderful. On that about page, you'll see all those ridiculous pictures of me. You'll see what a, as if your listeners don't already know, but you'll see what a goofball I am as a keynote speaker. So. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. I said, if you aren't willing to be vulnerable, you can't expect people to trust you. So there's me looking like a dork. I love it. All right. So Leanne, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I love the term lifelong learner. And you know, my parents were absolutely lifelong learners. So I often tell this story, I'll help people understand. So um, we lived in a beautiful middle-class home and we had an eat-in kitchen and a dining room. So there were lots of dinner tables. We ate at the holidays and maybe if we had a birthday party or something, 
And all the other days of the year, probably 362 days a year, we had dinner in front of the television set, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people think is sort of bad parenting. But my parents raised me sitting in front of the local news for half an hour, the national news for half an hour, and PBS McNeil Lehrer hour for an hour. And so in that living room, there was the full Encyclopedia Britannica set, which was probably sort of a car, one of the bigger investments my parents made in their lives. Full Encyclopedia Britannica, a very large dictionary, and an atlas. So as you were watching the news, if they started talking about a place that you didn't know where it was, you were expected to put down your dinner, get up, get the atlas, and figure it out. If they mentioned something that you didn't understand, you got the encyclopedia, you looked it up, and that was how we had dinner in my family, my entire life. So, you know, being a lifelong learner was baked in by my parents. So to me, it's humility to know that there's so much more that you don't know than that you do. It's curiosity to say, while I'm listening to the news, if I don't know that place, I don't just go, huh, I wonder where that is. I get up and I go and I find out. So that's lifelong learning to me and pushing yourself and learning things you don't know, going places you've never been, all those sorts of things. So what I'm working on right now is learning to be better at organizing. So I've been learning the bullet journaling method. And so I'm reading books and looking at websites and following Instagram and trying to learn ways to organize my creative mind. And what I love about bullet journaling is it's organization for creative people. And so I get so much joy out of my bullet journal because it's colorful and it's fun to do and it's got images, not just words, that I actually then stick to all the tasks I had to get done. So I've really been enjoying pushing myself, challenging myself to learn new ways of organizing myself. But you know, me being a lifelong learner, I cannot take credit for that. That was my parents and they still are. Well, my, my father's passed away, but my mom is 85 years old and she's the one who set up my Twitter account and got my Twitter account going for me <laughs> at 80. She is lifelong learner in spades. And what a way to instill those leadership qualities of humility, curiosity, and grit. Yes, yes. I got that so much from my parents. My dad, he figured I was pretty fortunate to come into the world with lots of gifts that I couldn't take credit for. And I did. I absolutely did. And so he was pretty good at keeping me humble. So he did for sure. <laughs> it helped me make sure I knew mm-hmm. all the things I was less good at. And so because of him, I learned how to do plumbing. I can weld copper pipes. What? I can shingle a roof. Uh, all those you things. Can, you can do all those things, just not by Tuesday. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, you totally can't do all those things on Tuesday. But it was just, look, you know, you're going to go get a PhD. I don't want you to be that PhD who doesn't know how to fix a copper pipe if the plumbing bursts. So like I was 11 when he put me in my first set of coveralls and took me under the cottage with a propane torch to literally solder pipes. He's like, well, let's do it. <laughs> How many were you? There were two of us. So my okay. brother's nine years older. So, you know, he had taught my brother all these things for many years. And then my brother went off to university. And so the first time that the pipes burst and my brother wasn't there, he didn't look at me as a girl and like, oh, you know, you're a girl. So I'll go fix it myself. It was like, Where's the coveralls? Let's go. And I'm Let's lying on the icy cold ground as the you know frost is coming out of the ground and I'm learning how to weld copper pipe. But you know, it makes me feel humble. It makes me appreciate people who earn a living in different ways than I do. And you know, he didn't have YouTube. 
Now when something breaks and you got YouTube, anything is possible, right? So YouTube is today's Encyclopedia Britannica. Google is Encyclopedia Britannica. So, you know, that's why sometimes I'm bad with my phone at dinner because dinner for me was always the place you learned new things. So sometimes my husband and I have to catch ourselves to say, um, you know, the kids don't always like it when we're doing that, but that's what we're doing. <laughs> so in your house, the tables are turned. Oh, we the get in trouble for the kids all the time. We do. <laughs> They're like, people, focus. And like, okay, sorry, sorry. So our kids have what they call phone stack, which is the phones have to get stacked in the middle of the table. And if you reach for your phone, the punishment and humiliation is grand, let me tell you. But oh it's just God. that default of, you know, if something comes up in conversation, you know, we went to see the new musical by Sting this week, you know, and it's mm-hmm. about the closing of shipyards in Northern England. And of course, it immediately goes to, oh, well, you know, that was during the Thatcher era. What happened then? And, and so you both of us reach for the phone immediately. Like, oh, let's, let's look that up. Kids are like, stop. <laughs> that is a great story. I love that. I love that. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top-level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. Now, Leanne, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? Oh, so what we haven't talked about yet is all of my volunteer time I donate to an organization that's about children's mental health. It's such a powerful organization called the Psychology Foundation. And what we're doing is we start at literally at birth with attachment, and then we get into stress management and resilience programs that cover from the day you're born to the end of high school. So I'm learning a lot about education and what's going on in the classroom because our programs are delivered in the classroom. And what's interesting is the number of teachers that are writing back to us saying, when are you going to create the materials for us? It's wonderful that you have these great things to teach the kids how to manage their stress, but teachers, and I have a kid in grade seven and a kid in grade 11. So I get a lot of exposure to the school system. And there are a lot of teachers that aren't coping. I hear really disheartening stories at the end of the day from my kids. Last year, my daughter had a math teacher who just refused to teach three classes in a row, made them sit there for an hour and 20 minutes in silence because he just couldn't cope. And he didn't have a better way of managing them. My younger daughter tells me that every day there's at least one teacher that's lecturing them about, you guys are the worst class and you don't pay attention. And teachers aren't coping with the fact that kids have changed. And I agree. We've let our kids change in ways that are destructive. And, you know, I try to take ownership for that with my own kids. But that said, they're professionals, they're educators. They need to cope and adapt. They need to find ways of capturing kids' attention. They need to mix it up. They need to do different things. So when my daughter had a fantastic teacher in grade four, she used to stop and they would do yoga like every half hour. They'd do a yoga break or they'd do a jumping jacks break. Or she just knew that attention span was something she had to manage. She had to teach them. So she taught the kids how to meditate. And every once in a while, if they really needed it, they'd stop and meditate. And I remember this was a few years ago and Max said to me, mom, you know, you're stressed. I think you need to meditate. And it was a couple of weeks before Christmas. I was just madly trying to get everything done. And I said, you know what, over the holidays, that would be really great. When I'm not so busy, you can teach me to meditate. And she's like, mom, dude, that's not the point. Like you need it now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, 
So, you know, educators that could adapt their approaches to what kids are like these days, Mm -hmm. this generation of teachers, I think they're not coping. They're not managing their own stress. I told you tough love, didn't I? Damn, sorry. There there was me. (laughs) Damn straight. Sorry. (laughs) What is it? Radical candor. (laughs) Sorry, that was a little radical candor. So let's talk about... Because I care deeply about teachers. I really do. And I think it's one of the most important professions in the world. And yet I'm disappointed to see that I think a lot of them are giving up. And I think part of that, Leanne, is lack of tools. Um, Yes. And so they come in with a great heart. They want to do great work. But sometimes we don't equip them as leaders. We don't equip them properly. I think the vast majority of the time. And so it's one thing to just say in general. So my husband is a neuropsychologist and he was looking at some education websites recently and looking at how many teacher education programs teach cognition teach actually how the human brain learns. And Mm -hmm. this guy who studies North American education system said it's like less than 20%. So we're not giving them the basic tools to do their job and now add to it. Are we giving them the tools to understand these Fortnite playing, vaping, attention deprived, Instagramming, Snapchatting little monsters that we've created? Mm -hmm. No, we aren't. That's one of the reasons why I do what I do. Because, you know, we want to equip the leaders. We want to equip the teachers who are the most important leaders in the building to learn how to lead themselves well so that they can lead the students well, lead the teachers well. Yeah. And I think learning how to have conflict with students productively. So if you think about the other way our parents are doing us such a huge disservice is they're not allowing our teachers to have productive conflict with their students. Mm. They're protecting them. They're jumping in front of anything that could be perceived as damaging our little darling's self-esteem. I really rant about this in the book because Mm -hmm. it makes me so angry that we think we create self-esteem in our children from protecting them from difficult messages. That's baloney. All we've done is create false self-esteem. And the minute they go off to college without us, or the minute they get into the workplace without us, this false self-esteem is going to be destroyed. I always say, if you think about American Idol, I always say we're raised by Paula Abdul. Then we go into a workplace where we're led by Simon Cowell. That's not pretty. Mm -hmm. If you've been told, you know, you're the youest you you could ever be by your parents and you get in the workplace and you're told that, you know, he's heard better things on a cruise ship, but that's what we're doing. So if you think about teachers, I think they're often getting the message either directly or indirectly that I can't actually deliver difficult messages to the kids. We actually had a teacher run out of a school. My elder daughter's grade four teacher was run out of the school for giving some radical candor to the kids who needed it. Mm -hmm. So I feel for teachers. I really feel for teachers, but I think it's critical for them to learn how do we have productive conflict in a way that's not going to trigger the parents, that's going to make the kids feel like we're their allies. That's Mm -hmm. mission critical, I think, for educators. Awesome. And they can go to your website and get great resources. Thank you. Now, Leanne, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? Can I cheat? Can I give you one that I haven't listened to yet, but I'm about to today? You can cheat, please. Okay, yesterday, somebody told me, have you seen the new video between Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, which already had me intrigued because those two are fascinating. The video is called Busy is the New Stupid. (laughs) So that's on my list for today because... We use busy as a badge of honor 
Mm. You know, how are you? T- oh, I'm so busy. Therefore, I'm so important. <laughs> I matter. And, you know, usually what that means is we're distracted, we're discombobulated, mm-hmm. we're not good at prioritizing, all those other things. So, I can't wait to watch Busy as the New Stupid as just another reminder to myself that I need to be fully present wherever I am. In my previous book, You First, I said, you know, we think about how much we don't want to say no, but we forget that if we say yes to something new, we're saying no to something we'd already committed to. Mm-hmm. So I'm checking out Busy as the New Stupid with uh, Bill Gates and Warren I'm going to check that out too. I know. Isn't that, isn't that <laughs> the best title? I love it. I Let's love chat it. about it. Okay. Now, Leanne, you have a lot of responsibilities. Speaking of busy, um, <laughs> what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? That's my bullet journal. That's why I'm mm. loving it so much. So the bullet journal method, what it does is it chunks time. So it has sort of a space for each month for the whole year where I can put down things for April that I can't think about it right now, but I need to think about it in April. So there's a place for me to write it down so I don't lose it. Then it has a place for the month and I can see an overall. And then I do most of my work in a page that's about the week. Then I have a tracker called Daily Habits. And there are a few things I'm working on. I've been doing intermittent fasting to try and keep my heart and my brain healthy. I'm trying to drink more water. I'm trying to exercise. I'm trying to read fiction every day. And for my book, I need to interact on social media with some important influencers. So there's five things. Every morning I get up and I say, did I do that yesterday? The bullet journal is this very centering practice. And again, as I said, it's it's colorful and it's pretty and I use markers and it makes me feel good because it looks the way I like it to look. And I think a lot of educators are like that, right? If I can use a Moshi tape and stickers, it's it's like, oh, this is organization, but it's nice. It's pretty. And that practice of not only first thing in the morning where I do the daily tracker and I look at my tasks for the day, then at the end of the day, as I'm checking it off and saying, okay, I got to that, I got to that, or I didn't get to that one and I need to move it forward and give it a new home. It's so centering for me. I feel more relaxed once I get to interact with my bullet journal because it just reminds me of what matters the most. What's today about? What's this month about? So I'm really, really loving it. I started the first of the year and it's just been, been great for me. Yeah, as you were talking, I looked it up and I can see some teachers using this. This is Actually, really- I think in education is where it really got its toehold. It's very, very popular, both with teachers and with students. On Pinterest, if you look at the hashtag bullet journal, or of course, because it's 2019, we can't use full words, so it's bujo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very big on Instagram. So if your listeners are interested, I highly recommend it. And it, you know, really you can start very simply with a notebook and a pen. That's all you need to start. It's just a way of centering ourselves on what's today about. I've put some inspirational quotes into mine, one for each month so that I can look at those. If I need a little, let me look at what February says. I figured February for Valentine's day. Love is not only something you feel, it is something you do. Mm. Um, And so reminding myself to turn love in February into action. This morning, it was in a major snowstorm, driving my daughter up so she could be at Starbucks at 7 a.m. to study with one of her friends. I'm like, that's turning love into an action, 7 a.m. in a snowstorm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that practice has been very valuable for me. Perfect. Thank you for that resource. I can see they can also download a PDF and start that way. Now, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? 
Get comfortable being uncomfortable, honey. (laughs) You know what? When I started, and your listeners may laugh at this, Mm -hmm. when I finally came to understand how I needed to think about conflict, it was Mm -hmm. when I figured out how to think about fitness. I really hate exercise. Like, really. I really hate exercise. And so I was having all sorts of troubles. Like if I had to stand in a line, my back would ache because I facilitate all day. I have to stand up for nine hours a day on a lot of days. And I was so uncomfortable and I was not enjoying my work because I was physically uncomfortable. So I realized, okay, I need to exercise. So one of the things I really needed to do was strengthen my abdominal muscles. So you know what abdominal exercises are like, right? Crunches and plank and leg raises. And they're really uncomfortable. And I've been doing them three days a week for five years. And Mm. you know what? Still just as uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think for a little while I was waiting for the time when it wouldn't hurt or it wouldn't be uncomfortable. Or you would love it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so when I finally realized that, yeah, it's uncomfortable. That's okay. Mm. And then I realized that being uncomfortable for 10 minutes, three times a week, all of a sudden, nine hours a day, I could stand and I wasn't having any back pain. I could go to Disney World with my kids and wait in those lines and not be uncomfortable. I could be thinking the whole time about my kids or talking with them or playing silly games in the line or whatever, because I wasn't thinking about my back hurting. And so that's when I finally realized, oh, it's the same for conflict. So I might have to have three 10 minute conversations as a leader this week that are going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. kind of like plank. But you know what? If I do that, if I don't get into conflict debt about it, then the entire rest of the week is going to be so much easier. I actually had to have the insight about fitness <laughs> that got me to the insight. So I now don't ask, am I comfortable having conflict? I just don't ask myself that. Just like I don't ask if I'm comfortable doing abs. I just say, yeah, well, am I comfortable being uncomfortable? Yeah, I've learned how to be uncomfortable. Okay. So that line, get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, people talk to me about situations where, you know, I had to terminate an employee. I had to give somebody a mark on a report card. I had to fail a kid in a Mm. class, right? Is a good teacher ever going to be comfortable doing that? I sure hope not. Mm. And a good one says, it's the right thing for you. And I owe it to you. And so it's not that we practice something until we're comfortable. It's that we do it even though it's uncomfortable. And because it's for the greater good. Yes. Love that. All right. So Leanne, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I just want to encourage them because it's possible. If this super conflict avoidant nerd naive dork can learn how to do it, everyone can. And when you try it, even when you get it wrong and you have to do that do over, you'll see people will respect you for it. They'll thank you for it. Things will start to get better quickly. And the first thing they'll get better is when you look at yourself in the mirror at night, you'll be proud of yourself. And I think so many of us who avoid conflict spend a lot of energy not feeling very proud of ourselves. And when you do that thing, that hard thing, that 10 minutes in the day, and you go home at night going, I'm so proud of myself for doing that. Wow. Does that feel great? And I want your listeners to feel that. They deserve to feel that. Mm. Leanne, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me 
and to our listeners. It's been a great conversation. I have enjoyed it so much, Lily. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. This is Lily. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to ignite and grow that leader in you.